We are uh, in a series called Unique Future, and we're really looking at the unique way God has called Orchard Hill Church to help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus, which has been our mission for over 50 years here at Orchard. And we believe that he wants us to understand um, how he's at work, because how he's doing that through Orchard Hill Church is unique. It's different than at other places. And the more we can live into who we are, who he's made us to be, and how he's at work, we just believe his power is going to be released in amazing ways here at the church. And so we've been paying a lot of attention around here, and we've been uh, seeing who's gathered here and listening to stories of God at work. And we believe that he's revealed to us this uh, this unique call. And um, you heard Doug say it earlier. In fact, you can say it with me. It's going to be on the screen. But we believe that he's given us this mission to helping next generations, say it with me, encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. You guys are getting it already. That's good, right? And we see uh, this as a missional mandate from God. This is the very reason that he calls us here together. And it's not so much a new mission. It's simply uh, we're gaining clarity on the way he wants to work through our church to help people become fully devoted followers of Christ. And so we want to help us all get together and really understand this mission together. So we're unpacking each word of this missional mandate so we can be like a team of horses pulling together. You saw that in a video last week, rather than pulling each other apart. This morning we're talking about the word encounter. Dave talked about next generations last week. This morning we're talking about encounter next week is follow. An encounter is different than follow. I took my son Eli to a Hawkeyes basketball game in February. And Eli stops just outside as we're walking into the arena. He says, ah, so this, this is it. This is Carver Hawkeye Arena. And it occurs to me, my poor deprived child, he'd never even been to the arena. He's 12 years old. And so we go in and we stop at the concourse and we're taking a couple panoramas, you know, and he's loving it. We make our way to our seats and he's like, Wow, mid-court, this is amazing. And there's not a whole lot of people at the game. It was before their win streak. And uh, so he says, uh, you know, maybe we can move a little closer, Dad. And I'm like way ahead of him. I've already spotted two seats down in the front row, like the padded kind that people pay extra money for. And so, you know, I said, well, we'll make a move. And so we're sitting up there watching the game. Iowa's, by the way, having its most amazing game of the season. They're up by 15. Adam Woodbury has dunked twice in the first five minutes. Miracle of miracles, so it's an amazing game, and by the eight-minute mark and the timeout, Eli and I are sliding into those front row seats next to these two older ladies, like, hey, mind if we join you? There's only two rows of chairs sitting between us and the court, right? And uh, I noticed that there's two empty seats in the front row of those two chairs. I said, yeah, we're sitting there. By half, by the se- by halftime, second half, we are sitting in those seats with our feet on the court, I mean, it's amazing. Eli can't believe it. His eyes could not get any bigger. I mean, we're taking, we're, we're snapping selfies and we're taking pictures. And it gets even better because as you can see in this picture, at the end of the game, we're walking up the tunnel. And uh, 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 Kyle Denning, kid from NU, plays for Iowa, invites Eli to come into the locker room. And then Jackson Nichols, who's a friend of ours, he's a manager for the team, is showing us around the locker room and giving us this tour. And Eli's getting all these pictures with all these players that he loves. And then Gable O'Shaney calls Eli over to his locker. He says, Eli, come here. And he reaches down. They got a little seat in their locker. And he reaches down in the locker and he pulls out his shoes. (laughs) Size 16 Nike soldiers. The same shoes Eli wears, and he says, he grabs, grabs a Sharpie, and he signs them right here in the back. He says, these are yours. You'll grow into them someday. 
yeah, right, you know. But now even I'm like getting impressed, right? And so we go out and we stop by the practice uh, court and Eli's shooting. And I kid you not, he's making threes from all over the court. Everything is like, this is amazing. And, and we're walking out through the coach's office and it's just Jackson and Eli and I. And who happens to walk in as we're walking out but Fran McCaffrey, the head coach. It's just us sitting there having this conversation with Fran McCaffrey. And he pats Eli on the way out after the conversation and says, Hey, thanks for coming and we'll look forward to seeing you again. And I mean, you talk about an encounter. This is an encounter that, you know, I'm like trying to think, how am I going to explain this doesn't usually happen, right? <laughs> Eli's walking to the car. He's got this huge smile on his face. He keeps sighing. He can't wait to call his brother and tell him about the shoes, you know, and call his mom and tell everybody about this. And, and, uh, you know, he gets home, and I mean, there's just this amazing encounter that's happened. He gets home, and he fr- finds a frame or a box for the shoes. He even picks Iowa to go to the Final Four. <laughs> there's some power in that encounter. I hadn't had the heart to tell him that it might not be wise, right? But there's power in an encounter. And if there's that much power in an encounter when a young boy goes to see the Iowa Hawkeyes, how much more power is there when we encounter Jesus, the Son of God? I mean, these are the stories we read about in the Gospels over and over again as people encounter Jesus and their lives are powerfully changed. We believe that God has given his church the privilege and responsibility to help others encounter Jesus, just like he's given all good dads the privilege and responsibility of helping their kids encounter the greatness of the black and gold. Okay, I made the last part up, but it sounds good. So this morning we're looking at a story, actually, at one of these encounters with Jesus. And we're trying to, so we can see how, how this is the mission that God's given to us, and trying to unpack some of the ways that we can help others encounter Jesus. And it begins in the second chapter of Mark's historical account of Jesus' life. Mark was a, was a cousin of Barnabas, one of Jesus' disciples, and he followed Peter all around and listened to Peter teach about Jesus, and he wrote down everything he could remember that, that Peter taught about Jesus, and a lot of what he wrote is supported in the biographies by Matthew and, and by Luke. And so this is like eyewitness account stuff, okay? And I just say that because the whole story starts off with some pretty amazing, hard-to-believe kinds of things. Mark reports that Jesus has been out and about, and he's been teaching about the power and the presence of the kingdom of God. And he's been using some amazing visual aids, like there's evidence of this power and presence all over the place in the form of miracles. He's been healing people who are sick and have all kinds of diseases, right? And so it's no wonder that as Jesus returns home to Capernaum, that the crowds start to swell. And that's where we pick up the story, the second verse of Mark chapter 2. And Mark says this, he says, They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get into Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. I want you to picture this before we go any further, all right? You're paralyzed. You spend most of your days lying on a mat that's barely bigger than you are. Your mind is numb from the loneliness and boredom that you experience throughout the day. Your, your body is covered in bed sores, and you're totally dependent on other people to clean you, to feed you, to take you to the bathroom. You have very little dignity 
and even less hope, right? There's no neurosurgeons, there's no specialists or physical therapy, there's no wheelchairs. Your future is grim. The one thing that you have is a group of friends. And after another long day of laying on that mat, all of a sudden your friends come rushing in and they're talking a mile a minute as they're grabbing you and fighting over who gets to pick you up by a corner and they're rushing out the door. And you hear one of them say, I heard that he cast a demon out of a man in a synagogue. And another one responds and says, yeah, but did you hear about what he did with that leper? Jesus actually put his hands on that leper and the guy's skin was cleansed immediately. And you can tell that these guys are super excited, but you've got really no idea what's going on. And one of them looks down and they can see the confused look on your face. He says, we're taking you to Jesus. He's at Peter's mom's home. We think he might be able to heal you. And before that even can register with you, you hear a crowd of angry people and there's some pushing and shoving and you hear one of your friends swearing at some of these people. Right, and, and you look at the faces of your friends who are holding you and holding the corners of the mat, and the, the anticipation that was there suddenly kind of starts to look more like defeat. But not for long, because that's when you hear somebody yell, The stairs! And they're on the move again. And the next thing you know, you're going up these stairs, and you can look out, and you can see the crowds of people gathered there. And then they're setting you on the roof, and you can see one of your friends down there, and he's pointing, and he's waving, and he's like directing your friends as they set you down on the roof. And the minute they set you down on that roof... You hear it. You hear Jesus' voice. And you hear His words. And they start to touch your heart. And they fill you with a hope that you've never dared allow yourself to feel before in your life. And you think, I've got the best friends in the world that they would care enough to bring me here to hear Jesus, to be in His presence but they're not done. Suddenly one of them starts ripping the tiles off the roof and he starts digging a hole in the roof right next to your head. And you're thinking, what's he doing? What's the owner of the house going to say, right? But he doesn't stop. He just keeps digging. And they're frantically moving this way. Another friend like ties the corners of your mat up into like a, so you're like in a knapsack. And before you can even begin to resist, they start lowering you down through that roof. And you can hear the people yelling and they're, and they're saying, what's going on? And they're, and they're cursing because it's the mud and the dirt is kind of falling in their eyes. They're wondering what's going on. Jesus has even stopped preaching and you just close your eyes. One, to keep the debris out, but also you're just praying, don't drop me, right? As they lay you down on that floor, right at Jesus' feet. And you're just sitting there going, what in the world is happening? What are these people going to do? What is Jesus going to do? And you open your eyes. And you look up to Jesus, and he's still looking up at that hole. And he's looking up at the sweaty, dirty faces of your friends who are looking down in anticipation and probably a little bit nervous, right? And he looks up at them, and you can see in Jesus, on his face, you can see this smile start to cross his face. And it looks like his eyes are even laughing as he, as he turns now and he looks down to you. And he looks you right in the eyes. And you start to get a little bit uneasy because he's like he's looking right into your soul. And you can tell right away that he realizes that your paralysis goes much deeper than your friends even know. And your soul is darkened from sin. Your heart has been broken for years. But instead of feeling guilt and shame, you sense a deep inner peace and contentment you've never known before. And Jesus' smile grows as he looks again back at your friends. 
And he says out loud in a voice that everyone can hear, you have some amazing friends. Their faith is great. Son, your sins are forgiven. This is what's happening, right? This is exactly what's happening in this moment, okay? So I want to catch that before we go on, because then Mark says this, what happens next. He says, now there are some teachers of the law present, and they're sitting there thinking, why does this guy talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew what they were thinking. He says to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. And you feel something jolt your body. Like something you've never felt before as Jesus says these words and then Jesus continues, right? He's talking to the religious, ex- the religious experts and he says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive his sins. And he looks back at you and he says, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Your muscles haven't functioned in years. So there's no doubt your ligaments, your tendons, everything has stiffened up and shortened up and there's rust. You know, there's no, it's impossible to move. But at these words, you feel this surge and you stand up immediately. Not even a wobble or a head rush. You can't believe it. Not only forgiveness and healing, but your complete strength has returned to your body. This is like grace upon grace. And you walk out in front of everybody and their heads turn in amazement. And they praise God saying, We have never seen anything like this before. This is an incredible moment. This is a powerful, real encounter with Jesus and with the kingdom of God and with all its power and presence for everyone in Capernaum. And it all began with some men who had heard some stories about what Jesus was doing, what he could do, and they courageously chose to believe that he could help their friend and change their friend's lives. And they refused to let anything stand in the way between their friend and an encounter with Jesus. Fast forward 2,000 years, and this is the mission and vision for Orchard Hill Church. We are called to be like these friends, to courageously live out the truth that Jesus changes lives. Now, we don't always encounter a miracle healing like these men did, right? We don't see a ton of miracles like this one. However, there was a man in this church just miraculously cured of cancer just a few weeks ago. So they do still happen, but I don't want us to get lost in the miracle because the minute Jesus looked at this man in the eyes and said, Son, your sins are forgiven, his soul was immediately restored by the presence and the promise of eternal life and grace that was in Jesus. Have you experienced this kind of encounter with Jesus? Have you received his forgiveness and his grace and his gift of eternal life in your own life? Have you experienced his life-changing, hope-renewing, soul-restoring gift in your own life? If you're here today and you haven't experienced that yet, I just want to say we're glad you're here. It's our commitment to help you encounter Jesus in this way. Maybe it's through the word here this morning. Maybe it's through worship or through community or through joining us as we go serve others. But for 53 years, Orchard Hill Church has been on this mission to help remove barriers so that people can encounter this grace of Jesus. A couple of stories. 
40 years ago, Orchard Hill Church was a church here, and they saw this university in their own backyard with a bunch of students who needed Jesus. The problem was there was no church presence. So they hired a college pastor, and they became the first local congregation, Orchard did, to send a missionary to UNI's campus. Okay, now fast forward 40 years to just a few weeks ago, here in the gym, our college-led Monday, Thursday service, five student speakers, and one of them invites his roommate to come and hear him speak, and his roommate is a kid who's never really been to church before growing up. He's openly shared that, that he doesn't believe in God, so he's, he's an atheist, and he moans and groans when his friend invites him to come, but he comes along anyway. And as he hears his friend, this, this friend he's grown up with, tell his story about how Jesus has and continues to help him overcome the pain and suffering of this tragic accident that left his older brother paralyzed when he was younger. And he emotionally ripped his family apart. And Jesus continues to walk him through healing him. This friend hears this story, maybe for the first time, maybe in a new way. And he encounters Jesus. And he's sitting there in the church, in, in, this, in the seats, and he starts smiling. And the next thing you know, he's like singing along with all the songs during the worship service. And later that night, he asks his friend, can I come to your Bible study that you're going to on Monday night? Can I come with you? And can I come to basic with you on Thursday night? I'd really like to go check that out. And he comes to church with him on Sunday. And he's singing, and he's doing all these things he has never done before. And it, he comes out of the church service on Sunday. He says, what kind of service was that? His friend says, I, I don't know, a contemporary one? He says, man, I sure hope I can find a church like that when I go home this summer. I mean, what, what's happened? This, this, this student who doesn't believe in God one minute, and the next minute, like, he's changing, his life is changing right in front of his friend. So I believe he encountered Jesus through the faith of his friend and through the faith of these followers of Jesus at Orchard who 40 years ago, decided to send a missionary to you and I's campus. In the crowd that night, uh, at the Monday Thursday service, there were people who knew more about the Bible than these students who were te- teaching it. In fact, I think Ed Baker was there, so we know that, right? <clears throat> there were certainly people who had their lives more together. I mean, these are college students, right? Some of you remember college, okay? So there were people who had their lives more together than these people. And it's just like in Mark's story, because God still uses their faith. Just like in Mark's story. There's experts in the law sitting in the front row. There's experts at keeping the law. There's Pharisees sitting in the front row. They know the doctrine and rules and religion inside and out. These are good things. But Jesus looks up to that in that hole in the roof, right? And what does he see in those sweaty faces? He sees real faith living itself out in action, right? These compassionate friends filled with hope and the belief that Jesus could change their lives. And they had heard some stories and it was good enough for them to bring their friend to Jesus. Your faith matters to your friends. The faith of good friends courageously living out their belief that Jesus changes lives made room for this encounter. Jesus saw the friend, saw their faith and he healed this man. Does he see your faith with your friends? It matters to your friends. The faith of friends paves the way to powerful encounters with Jesus. Now, there's another important observation here because they did it together, right? We see four men carrying this guy. 
It also takes somebody probably to clear the crowd. We talked about somebody being on the, on the ground, maybe pointing directions, because you don't want to mess up. If you're digging a hole in somebody else's roof, you don't want to be digging more than one hole. At least I don't. This is a group effort. And what we see in this is the second observation, that God calls us to courageously live out the truth that we are better together. In January at our leadership retreat, we heard the story of Gary and Sheila McClanahan's small group. And they were trying to figure out um, how to live out their faith together. And they were encouraged and, and inspired and challenged and convicted through the study they were doing. And they're introduced to a gentleman in Waterloo who's living in a wheelchair. And he needed some help with some things around his apartment. And now Sheila can clean like nobody's business, right? And, and Marcus is this engineer, so he can do anything. And Dwayne's a retired band teacher, so I don't know what he can do. But he's retired, so he's got time on his hands, right? And they just go and they just start doing stuff. They're cleaning and they're building wheelchair ramps. I don't know what all they're doing. But they get to know Jack and they're having conversations with Jack, some of them spiritual. And Jack, Jack's been around church people before and he knows what's going on. And, and um, he lets them know he's never really encountered Jesus. He's not a follower himself. But they don't let that get in the way because what's happening as they're serving and doing these things is they're becoming friends with Jack. And they form this close friendship and they start to love Jack and Jack is loving them. And because they love him and they have this tenacious belief that an encounter with Jesus will change Jack's life forever, they just refuse to leave him alone, right? And now they're starting to like take him to doctor appointments and they're advocating for him with medical companies, insurance companies and things like that. They just keep loving. It's like they're walking him up the stairs to that roof and digging the hole and lowering him down, right? And just a few weeks ago, they're having dinner together, and Jack says, I'm ready. I want to do this. And the whole group encounters Jesus right there as Jack prays to receive Christ's forgiveness and gift of eternal life. They did this together with Jack, and they encounter Jesus together with Jack, and Jesus powerfully, powerfully changes and impacts all of their lives. It's a beautiful story. This is a picture of how we want to courageously live out our faith here at Orchard Hill Church. We simply want to do our best to be really good friends, to be good neighbors and good family members, right? It's we bring ourselves and we bring our friends and our neighbors and Jesus brings the power. Who are you noticing around you like that maybe needs an encounter with Jesus and what's in the way? Who will help you remove some of those barriers for this encounter? This is one of our core values at Orchard Hill Church. We simply believe we are better together. That's why you see in this video with spring break, we've been partnering with Nazareth Lutheran Church for over 20 years to help next generations, junior high, high school, college students encounter Jesus through our youth ministries. We partner every day with partners like Judy and George Marshall over at Harvest Vineyard Church. Um, all, the, all the partners that were in that spring break video, uh, we didn't even get to go to Mexico this year, but Pastor Chewy and Bob and Esther, the Williams family at God's Mountain, these are people we partner with every day because we know that we're better together. And it runs deep. Ten years ago, Pleasant Valley Reformed Church came to us and said, will you help us remove some barriers so that people in Grundy Center can encounter Jesus? And we had volunteers and leaders coming out of the woodwork and committing resources to go and launch a campus at a theater in Grundy Center so that people could encounter and follow Jesus. And it's happening. And that's why you're going to get a letter asking you to approve $2.6 million to continue removing those barriers by 
by creating a permanent worship site and a place for community events to take place in Grundy County so people can continue to encounter Jesus. It's why there are six families up in Waverly who have been praying and giving their lives and their resources and their time, everything, to start a campus in Waverly this fall so that people of Bramer County can encounter Jesus. This is why we encourage you to join a small group and to start paying attention to the needs of the people in your small group and for your group to be paying attention to those needs of people outside of the group. How might God be asking you in your own life to courageously live out this truth that we're better together? One more observation that God's been teaching me uh, a lot through my life, but especially as I prepared this story, because it's right here in Mark's story. And it's this, it's that our weakness is an opportunity that he provides for us to encounter Jesus. Did you notice that it's the man's weakness that provoked the entire encounter with Jesus? That God uses his paralysis to bring them all to Jesus? And God's strength is made perfect in this man's weakness. He and his friends and everybody in that region, even the Pharisees and experts in law, encounter Jesus because of that weakness. God calls us as well to trust him in this and to courageously live out the truth that our weakness is an opportunity to encounter Jesus for us and for others. It's almost 13 years ago, I lost a friend to a car accident. This is a friend who I ran with every day, every Friday, for sometimes a couple hours at a time. And we just share our lives together. And we talk about our families. We talked about our faith. We talked about everything, our struggles, our celebrations. It was devastating when he died. And to be honest, it shook my faith. I mean, I would go to bed at night. It was just these words of the song going over and over in my head like a prayer to God, saying, I want to I see you. I want to touch your face. I want to hear you. I want to know you more. I was like that man lying on the mat, just paralyzed by my grief. And I needed friends to pick me up and take me to Jesus. And they did. It was people in this very church, some of them I barely even knew through their acts of, of kindness that I just still vividly see. But then a few weeks later, a bunch of friends got together and they hosted a 5K right here in this gym. Out of their great grief and out of their great personal sadness and weakness, they host this, this 5K to raise money for the family and to celebrate Grant's life and to give other people the opportunity to do the same. I couldn't believe how many people came that day. The gym was packed, but even more, the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus that filled that community that day. It was, it was amazing. You could feel it. I mean, it was just intense. And I encountered Jesus. It was a huge step in my healing, but I wasn't the only one. There was a woman who came that day who didn't, didn't even know Grant, didn't know God, didn't know anything about Orchard, but she came to run. And she encountered Jesus through the stories she heard about Grant's faith, and through the experience she had of people who were here and the deep love they had for each other and the commitment they had to each other, she encounters Jesus and she gives her life to Jesus. And she goes home and she's sharing about this with her husband and brings him along and he encounters Jesus. And now they're here at this church and they're raising their kids and they're helping others to encounter Jesus here at Orchard Hill Church. 
I was talking with somebody just this week, another guy, and we were talking about Grant for some reason. He said the same thing. He came to that event and was blown away by what he experienced, that Holy Spirit's movement through people's weakness. Our weakness is an opportunity to encounter Jesus and see his power at work in amazing ways. And I know some of you are carrying some really heavy stuff right now. Some of you are being overcome with grief or sadness or pain or suffering. And the future looks really grim. In fact, it feels more like God has abandoned you and left you alone than like he's wanting to meet with you and show you some goodness. I know that feeling. I want to encourage you that God's promise that his strength will be made perfect in your weakness is true. It's in his word. And I've experienced it for myself. And we here as a church are committed to living this truth out with you as you walk through this and encounter Jesus. We'll do this together. Let's pray. Father, we sang earlier in the service that we may be weak, but your spirit's strong. Father, we need your faith. We need you to give us faith that we can cling to this promise, that we can courageously live out these truths. Father, I think about the Kelly family right now, gathered around a wife, a mother, a sister, daughter. Lord, as she starts to transition into eternal life. And Lord, for the world, that's a hopeless, despairing situation. But for that family, there's hope and there's joy because there's the promise of eternal life because they have encountered your grace and they've received your forgiveness. And we thank you for that. We pray that you will walk with them and that we as a church can walk with them. We pray, Lord, that you will give us vision as we walk in these days for people all around us who need an encounter with you and that you'll show us, Lord, how to remove barriers to help them encounter you and your power. It's in your name we pray. Amen.